Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to Teach Me to Talk with Laura and Kate. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist. And I hope Kate remembers we've had a time change and will join us any minute. It has been a Monday for me, as I'm sure it has been for her, and so I hope that she will call in shortly. Uh, Let me go ahead and do what we do at the beginning of every show and give you some updates. Uh, I'm going to be in Atlanta next week, September 27th and 28th, and this is 2012 in case you're listening at a much later date in the future, and... um, are thinking that I'm talking about whatever year you're currently listening in, but it's September 27th and 28th, uh, next Thursday and Friday, and then in Columbus, Ohio on October 11th and 12th, and then in Chicago on October 25th and 26th. And here is Kate. Hello. (laughs) Are you going over your conference schedule? I'm sorry. I was was changing light bulbs and the time got away from me. I should have called oh, early, earlier. I thought I could get them done before. So did you tell it's everybody a... about the wonderful weekend? No, I haven't said anything about the big wedding that was in uh, our family over the weekend. My son Tyler got married. And, Kate, I cannot thank you enough for all you did to help with that. You did some beautiful door decorations for the rehearsal dinner for um you did not have to go through all that. I just want to acknowledge that we had a very fun weekend. Her son got married and it was a lovely country wedding. He married oh, his sweetheart. Yeah. He did. It was it was great and I'm so glad he got to be a part of that. And again, I just want to publicly thank you for all your help. You did such a great job and the flowers were beautiful on Friday night and you were just so good to our kids and Gave them so many presents, and I just so appreciate you. Thank you so, so, so much. You're such a great friend. Well, you know I feel the same way, so you're very welcome. And I'm so tired. I might watch into crying right now, so let's move (laughs) right along. It was a wonderful, beautiful, but very exhausting because so emotional weekend, yeah. Yeah. Lots of work, too. Just old-fashioned work to go along with it. Lots of work. And we did a lunch for the bridal party at our home on Saturday and the wedding and the reception and all the things. Anyone who's ever had a child get married knows it's a lot of fun, but, boy, you kind of breathe a sigh of relief when it's over and you move on back to your real life. And that (laughs) has been what we've been trying to do today. If anyone's listening and you are having some difficulty registering for conferences, Give me, shoot me an email at laura at teachmetotalk.com or uh, on your, you can contact us and let us know what's going on with that. I've had several calls and emails about those kinds of issues today. So we're hoping that all those things will smooth out and we will have fabulous dates, fabulous events coming up this fall for the next six weeks. So there we go. And Chicago is almost sold out. So if anyone is really on the fence about that and you're not deci- not sure what you're going to do, go ahead and register. <laughs> do not Day wait any Chicago. longer. Yeah, it's a smaller venue than we normally have. And so, um, oh. that you know, because it's smaller, it's more apt to sell out more quickly. Atlanta is probably really close to selling out, too. 
And Columbus, Ohio is filling up fast as well. So, again, if you're listening to this and you're a last-minute person like me, don't be like me. Go ahead and register because it's, uh, again, <laughs> I want you to be able to attend and not be upset if you don't get to come. And when we have sold-out events like that, I, you know, I hate to turn people away at the door, but we have to uh, because hotels will not let us squeeze in. We've had people really beg before, I'll sit on the floor, I'll put a chair at the end. Well, you know, they just won't let us do that. And so you have to pre-register and let us know that you're coming. And if we do have spots, we would love to have you just, walk on in and register but a lot of times that doesn't happen and i am so thankful for that i love full sold out rooms so if you're wanting to register get online and do it today it's teachmetalk.com or if you need um to do it by phone shoot me an email laura at teachmetalk.com and we will work out how to connect by phone all right, I'm a little leery about giving the phone number out on here because when I used to do that, moms would call me about their kids, and I don't have time for that. So there you go. All right, moving right along. I feel like I've already been running a marathon today. It's uh, It's been quite a day already, but we need to shift gears and get going with our show here. This is part three in the series that Kate and I are doing on vocabulary development in late talkers. And last week we spent a lot of time talking about nouns, and nouns are names for objects and people and places or events. And so if you have not listened to that show, you may want to back up and listen to that. The show prior to that was part one in this series, and it really talked about the background information that you'll need to know and the very first kinds of words that kids start to use when you when you when they first make that big move into using words. So, again, if you're joining us kind of mid-series here, a lot of what we say today may not make sense if you don't go back and listen to those two previous shows. But today Okay, I have a little some- quick question. Can I ask you a really quick question? Sure. I've been meaning I've been meaning to ask you this. And you did sit talk we got off topic, I think well, we always get off topic, but the first yeah. show it's in the series and we talked we talked about getting specific sounds and you had, you said you had a way that you your best way of getting a long E sound. Boy, I'm gonna need more context than that. I can't remember. <laughs> Would it would it have I'm, been a trick I was talking about? Yeah, I, you know I was saying I, you know I, how I am, Kate. I, unless we retrace the exact thing, it will not trigger. <laughs> okay, exactly. I'll listen to it. I know you said it on the podcast, and I couldn't remember. And I was trying to come up with it the other day, and I thought I need to ask Laura what that was, but I'll just listen to it. Yeah, because sometimes um, in context I would think, oh, that's what I was going to say or that's what I was thinking. When I do long E, usually I'm doing that in the context and try to get it first in a really simple word that I think a kid will um, be more likely to say. And usually Mm -hmm. that's in we or in T. And I get teeth in that long E. I hear that a lot of times for the very first time when I'm playing Mr. Potato Head. And I'm doing teeth, teeth, Maybe so that was it. I wonder okay. if that's it, but I don't know. I could probably go back and listen. And I could have done example, that, but I thought, I'll just ask her. <laughs> <laughs> that is one that I don't really do. So I'm going to oh, add what, that. Teeth? I'm sure I said that. Yeah, I don't really oh. do teeth too much. 
Mm-hmm. I do that a lot. I do teeth a lot. And I think it's such a visual sound. And that's the, mm-hmm. I think that's probably what I was thinking about that that's day. That's probably again, it. Like, that makes good if, sense. If I could go back and listen to the show, and I'll try to do that. Let me just add that. So that will be number 100, oh, about 82 on the to-do list. <laughs> Okay, sorry, I didn't mean, mean to get you off topic. I just have been okay. meaning to ask you that, and I thought, now's my chance. That's probably it, though, Laura. That 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 rings true. So, okay, thanks yeah. for reminding me again. Yeah, I think it's that's if I don't if I can't get it in weed. The other thing that I think teeth is such a great target word for that sound is because T, you know, is is an alveolar ridge sound, meaning that you make it by putting the tip of your tongue up on those little bumps that are right behind your front teeth. And it's it's you can do that pretty visually too for kids and they and it just is such a close sound to that E. And since those lips are spread. And I do that tactile cue of touching a kid's face and, you know, putting my fingers on either side of his lips if he's doing uh or oh or uh-huh. Uh, whatever, whatever off-target babble, you know, a lot of times helping him get the right um, mouth posture right. will help with getting the right sound. Cheese is another one if um, <laughs> you have that in context if a kid is eating cheese, if you're taking you know, pretending you're taking pictures or taking pictures, and now with all these cool phones we have, that might be a way to kind of get that. I've not really done that a whole bunch. Uh, but anything where you've got attention to your face and attention to your mouth. But how many kids do you like, know that do, do love the phone? So, yeah, my, that might work. Cheese for that. That's another good one. Yeah. And I like the sign think, for cheese. It's easy. Yeah, it is easy. And so I, I think that's good. But anytime you can kind of call attention to their little faces, um, sometimes that makes it harder for kids um, if they have some aversions to being touched or if they're not really social. Um, you're not going to – I don't think those sexual cues work as well for those kinds of kids, but kids who are really with you and excited and do know how to imitate and they are ready for that kind of cueing. Those are the words that I that I think would work best. I'll go back and listen to that show and see what I was thinking. I'll it bet could it's be something that, that sounds, me. as you I'm said it, I think, thought, yeah, that's what I think she said the last time, and it didn't stick with me, but I've got it this time. There you go. There you go. All right, today we're talking about teaching verbs. And I'll just be really honest here. I teach a lot of verbs earlier than probably some other therapists or some other sources might say. Last week when we were reviewing that uh, 2011 study that the Child Study Institute at uh, Bryn Mawr did, they had 25 common words that children or that toddlers should be using by age two. And of their list, all gone and... Let's see what else they had. Algon is really their only real verb that they had listed on uh, in their list. And we talked about last week how predominant nouns are, names of things are in early vocabulary. But, and you said this last week too, Kate, if a kid is in therapy, though, more likely than not, the therapist might introduce verbs a little sooner because verbs are so important for um, 
getting a child ready so that when he, he or she has enough words to combine that they can make a decent phrase because it's hard to do um, a, a lot of different phrases with two nouns. I mean, it can be done if you're doing, you know, mama's shoe, daddy's nose, daddy's truck, those kinds of things. Those are legitimate phrase types and examples of phrases that we hear from toddlers, but more often than not, we need verbs. We need action words. The reason I like to teach action words so early is because you're doing something. And if you can really hook a kid's attention and get him to participate with you, toddlers really learn by doing. And so I think verbs just lend themselves to this kind of high-energy play and, and teaching in that kind of context. And didn't you say that last week, Kate, when we were talking about verbs? You said, unless the kid's in therapy and then they're going to learn verbs maybe a little sooner than they would have normally, and you introduce a lot of verbs pretty early too, don't you? I do. Um, seems like kids, you know, like verbs sometimes because they are so playful and there's always movement or some kind right. of action, you know, so they, and a lot of times they'll pop those out before they even realize they're doing it. So I think so too. I like them. I think so too. Mm-hmm. I like them too. So let's talk about Early verbs that we teach. Now, last week I gave reference for this. There's a list, there's an article on my website at teachmetotalk.com that has the big list, the list of nouns that we used last week and that we talked about, and then a bigger uh, list of verbs as well. And that article is called, I wish I remembered. Um, I'll find that before the end of the show. And it's on Facebook, the Facebook page, too, as well, uh, from last week's show. And I'll get that, and I'll link that to today's show as well. So if anyone uh, wants to take a a look at that list. Um, And it's a a pretty big list. And, again, you're going to want to pick and choose – which ones you teach first. I usually always, almost always teach go as one of my very first verbs, and I know um, you like that one as well, don't you, Kate? Always numero uno. Uh, the kid, kids yeah. like to sign it. It's a fun sign because they're rolling their hand. Or, ah, that's how I do it. Or sometimes I do it kind of like punching in front like a little boy. And what little boy doesn't love everything that goes, balls and trucks and cars and so since we see so yeah. many boys, go is a good word. I think it's the other reason I like go is because it's part of that verbal routine where we all say ready, set, and then go completes that. And so I think that's another reason that I like that word so much um, and teach it in that context too because we, when you can get a kid uh, prepped, like that and and almost ready and primed for that word to pop out, that certainly is going to make it easier for a lot of kids to be able to imitate that and to say that word um, almost before they even realize that they're doing it and uh, pop out words. We've talked about that a lot on this show, words that almost just pop out before a kid even knows that he or she is about to say it. And that's how it looks a lot of times with our new talkers too. We have to set the stage so that the words can come pretty automatically and pretty easily and, again, without um, 
I mean, you're still going to cue and you're still going to prompt, but boy, I like it when a word, when we've said a word and we've established a routine so well that the child just begins to say it um, again without um, as much difficulty as he or she might otherwise have. Okay, I found the name of the article that the list is from, and again, it's on my website at teachmetotalk.com, and it's called What Can I Do to Help My Toddler Learn More Words? And that's in um, the expressive section, I believe. You can find it there, or you can just use the little search bar up at the top, top right-hand corner and just type in uh, What Can I Do? And you'll be able to scroll down and click on the right article. It's also linked on TeachMeToTalk.com's Facebook page, and I linked it on last week's podcast. And um, as soon as we're done with the show today, I will link it on the Facebook post for today's podcast as well, so you can take a look at that. All right, so Go is an early one that I teach. Open is probably the next verb that I teach pretty routinely, and that's because in sessions I have all of my toys in Ziploc bags, the big two-and-a-half-gallon size bag. And so we make a pretty consistent routine out of opening the bag so that we can get the toy and move on to the next activity. And so open is a verb that I teach pretty early, too. Now, a lot of kids will have some difficulty staying open with all four of those sounds represented, and we talked about this a lot last week. That's okay. We're not going for, you know, articulatory perfection here. We are going for an initial pretty good attempt, even if the kid is just doing, oh, open good enough for me in the very beginning I also love the sign open because you can make that like like we were talking about with the, with go you can sign it and make that pretty big and pretty obvious and pretty um salient you know pretty the kid notices it when you're signing open now I sign open by having my hands my palms down and, you know, my fingers, the top of my hands are showing, you know, facing up, just my palms are down, and then making a big dramatic movement of turning both of my hands over for open. And, again, that sing-song voice is so important for children who are first learning how to imitate, and it does, again, their attention, and we've spent a lot of time talking about that over the last couple of shows and why that sing-song voice works. Uh, and I particularly use that uh, with this word. But other people sign open differently. How do you sign it, Kate? Do you sign it the way that I do? I do not. I'm surprised to hear. I usually, <laughs> I usually um, do it with putting my hands together as if you're praying, and then I do open and just open them out to the side. Well... Whatever works for you, because guess what? We've both taught kids to say and sign that word using different different signs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, the movement that you're doing. Kids uh, pretty readily imitate that? Uh, pretty or readily. Try. Yes, yes, try. And a lot yeah, of kids that I'll... Usually... Go ahead, Go I'm ahead. sorry. <laughs> 
I was just going to say a lot of kids that I, when because open is such an early word that I use, and again, I might target that alongside some of those nouns that we were talking about last week, those first targets. Um, I don't care if the sign isn't exactly like I'm doing it either. If they're doing some kind of movement with their hands where they start with it right. sort of in front of their body and then they throw mm-hmm. them up in the air, they move them out to the side, they just flip their little palms over, whatever they do, who cares? <laughs> as long Sometimes as that's it, where you'll start to see kids or you'll start to become aware of that, how bad motor planning can be on kids because you see how off they are, but you know they're trying right. to do it. And yeah, right. I always just think, hey, it was an honest effort. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, and I always, the, my big criteria for a sign is would I recognize that again? If he did that on his own, would I know that he's signing open? Would mom remember and know? Would she recognize that as a sign? And sometimes you'll have to say to moms, Hey, look, watch what he's doing versus what I'm doing, and I, I'm really particular about saying it does not matter if he performs the movement perfectly. We just want him pretty consistent so that you recognize that that sign is different from any other sign or gesture that he would normally use. Um, and you know where I notice a lot of those uh, sign differences, too, are when kids do their own little versions of signs is when I haven't taught the sign. When mom's taught it or, say, if I'm the replacement therapist and I'm going in and he's already had therapy with someone else or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the situation might be, and that's where I'll notice a lot of signs uh, or differences or, again, a kid's own original way to do the sign because I won't recognize it at first. He'll sit there and do it, and I'll think, what the heck is that? You know, or Mm -hmm. I have to say to his mom, what sign? He's trying to tell me something. What do you you think that sign is? What do you think that means? And, again, as long as the kid is using it consistently, it's okay because – it's not going to be permanent. This is a temporary strategy or a temporary technique or method to get him to, ready to communicate. And, again, science are such great strategy uh, for helping late talkers begin to purposefully um, let you know what they want and if, and if they're not ready to do that with words yet, they can still use signs. And I like signs because they're symbolic, meaning that you're doing some body movement to represent an idea. And, of course, today we're talking about birth. So it would be to represent the action of opening something. Um, and, and kids have to be able to be symbolic thinkers and symbolic uh, users before they're able to really use gestures and to use words. And, again, we're getting pretty darn technical for any parents that are listening, but certainly that's something we want therapists to think about is kids have to be um, at that cognitive level where they understand, gosh, I'm using this specific gesture, this specific sign, this specific word to mean something. It's not random anymore. It's not I'm just, you know, picking it out of the air, I'm doing something to be truly representative of what I want you to do for me or what you're trying to get me to do or get me to say or get me to sign. And so, again, back to our point about open, it doesn't matter really how we sign it. And I love it when we don't do the same thing, Kate, when we have a difference there because I don't ever want anybody to think, oh, we've got to be so particular or it's not going to work. 
that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> you know, you can sign it whatever way that the kid signs it or that you've been signing it for, you know, a year or two years or if you've worked for 20 years. And if you sign it a different way from us, who cares as long as you're able to get the kid to understand that that sign means this word and to do some kind of, um, or, you know, whatever his word approximation would be, whatever his little version of that is, that you can recognize it and that he or she can use that to mean open and for the other person that he's communicating with to be able to understand that, that that's what he means. Let's talk about okay. one word. Is eat okay. a verb? Yes. <laughs> well, that is definitely way up there on my list. Let me just say that. Me too. And eat again. Oh, boy, with that long E, we're revisiting that again. I like to teach the sign for eat, and as I say that, because, you know, again, your mouth, we don't ever just say eat. We're saying eat, eat. You know, and again, you're being really dramatic and really um, animated when you're modeling that. And, again, that visual model where you are making that word so big with your mouth where you're really exaggerating your mouth movements and really um, retracting those lips or spreading your lips, however you want to say it, so you're showing your teeth and saying, eat, 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 and that's certainly an early one too. And I like using that one because it's so easy to reward it when you are teaching it. (laughs) That's probably the number one reason we use it, don't you think? Yeah. Well, and kids, you know, that is that is a pretty basic um, need, and most kids sometime or other do want to eat something. So, yeah, it's definitely one of my go-to. But, yes, I like to use my junk. Uh, Skittles, Oreo cookies, Teddy Grahams. Healthy would be a, a Stax chip. <laughs> That's my health food. <laughs> you know, sometimes you'll get a kid on your caseload, though, that doesn't like junk food. And when that happens, isn't that always a surprise? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, and I do have some. They won't touch any of it, which know, is fine. I never force feed it. I only use no. it if they already like it. But, right. yeah, most of them like it. Yeah, and it and it is uh that a child has to do all day long, which means that mom and dad will get plenty of practice and that they, even if they're not, even if they feel like they're time challenged and don't have a ton of one-on-one time, eat is certainly a sign that a parent can really easily work into daily routines. And again, just because we're talking about the signs doesn't mean that you're not also using the same list and the same rationale when you're thinking about what verbal words you're working on. And so, again, eat is a great one to do. And it certainly makes, um, I think it's in my top ten list of words. Oh, I'd put it higher than that on mine. I'd say I do more eat, go. Yeah. Probably, yeah, three. Yeah. Those are my top three. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I'll have a kid that um, I might teach, well, let's just say this. Let me back up. Drink is another one that I'll teach pretty quickly like that. But because I don't take drinks, 
you know, kids or I don't even when they come to see me in my office, I don't normally serve them drinks unless mom has stashed a sippy cup in her purse or the diaper bag or the backpack or whatever. And then if a kid or if I'm working with a kid in their home, of course, they'll have access to that. And a lot of times moms and dads will say, gosh, that sign for eat and drink looks so much alike and I can't ever tell what he's really doing. And I always try to say, don't worry about that yet. We're just going to make sure that you know that he or she knows, meaning the child, what they're doing and what they're trying to tell you. And so I don't do a lot of hand-over-hand correcting when we're first teaching these signs and when you're first learning it, because again, we've already talked about it. If their version is recognizable, who cares if it's off? from what you normally teach or normally do. And, you know, and some parents will say, but I don't know which one he's really signing. And I'll say, well, you know what? He has to sit there and really stay with you and communicate with you. And then you get that nice back and forth with, if you're saying you want a drink and he's really signing eat, 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 I love it when a kid gets to the point that he can let you know, no, silly, you screwed that up. That's not what I'm trying to communicate with you here. Uh, And they have to work a little harder to get their point across And all parents of late talkers, or I think most of them anyway, are used to playing 20 questions with, oh, you want milk? You want milk? You want water? Oh, you don't mean that? You want something to eat? Okay. How about, you know, are we going to have a sandwich? Do you want, you know, and you normally kind of run down your list. And as the child's skills improve and as he or she talks better or signs better, some of that will get a little easier, but you've got to really get them over the hump. And so I think even misunderstanding a little bit in the beginning is kind of good. Don't you feel that way? Because it gives them a, uh, more of a reason and opportunity for them to continue to communicate with you. It's kind of that environmental sabotage thing that therapists talk yeah. about, you know, just kind of yeah. yes, using it to encourage them to continue to give you responses. Exactly, exactly. Um, So I, you know, try to talk to parents and change their minds a little bit. Now, if you have a child who has such a low frustration level, so, I mean, their tolerance for not being understood or for mom not easily knowing what they want, I mean, that really is just kind of a personality or temperament difference. Those are the same kind of kids usually that flip out if you give them the wrong sippy cup or that, you know, you get a little step in their routine wrong and they fall apart. And a lot of parents will say, relate that to communication frustration. And sometimes it's true, but more often than not, that's a personality or a temperament difference. We see that a lot, too, in kids that are on the spectrum. And that if you're not getting what they want or you're misunderstanding um, they are usually prone to fall apart a little more easily than a kid that this is just a pretty simple expressive language delay, or even a kid that's apraxic that's having tons and tons of difficulty um, coordinating their mouth movements so that they can talk, but they're still going to be pretty persistent in how they try to communicate with you and keep going even though they're a little frustrated. And so, again, sometimes therapists and sometimes moms miss that the frustration that a kid is exhibiting is really not always related to not being able to talk. I don't know that we've talked about that in a while on the show, but you know what I'm meaning when I'm having this conversation, right, Kate? Yes. 
I do. <laughs> I've seen that as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes it can look like they're frustrated because they're not able to say it verbally, but but um, sometimes it's that they easily melt down and they don't can't say it verbally. You know that right. they. Yeah. Right. And that's why they don't really have that staying power in in the communication to to get their point across. Your parents are just supposed to know it. (laughs) Exactly. And Uh so you have to really um, be cognizant of that when you're working with a kid and not have, if you're a therapist, not cause meltdown after meltdown after meltdown because I think when a kid, I mean, you want them a teeny bit, not frustrated, but motivated to continue to work with you and try to talk or sign or whatever your goal might be for that kid. But if you are consistently making a kid so mad and then all you're doing is tantrum after tantrum after tantrum, there's a better way to do it, and you probably need to be working on other things. And we've we've heard a lot of times about how pediatricians will say to a mom, well, just don't give him anything to drink or eat until they ask you for it. Or just don't reward that. Unless he says it, don't give it to him. And that's never good advice, especially for a child like that, because they, you know, then you're handling, again, fit after fit after fit when the child is not probably developmentally ready or emotionally mature enough to handle that kind of pressure. And so you really have to. And it really kind of, you know, it's, it's such really bizarre. Uh, counseling to give because it assumes that kids are not saying the words because they are being bad, they don't want to, or they're just refusing to. And and I really don't see many kids who refuse to talk, you know? I mean... Yeah. That's called collective mutism, and you know, unless... <laughs> That's the wrong diagnosis. It's, it's a person. You have to have normal skills. In in one setting, you have to you know been able to say a word consistently before, um, and have language at an age appropriate level <laughs> before you would be able to say, oh, he's selectively choosing not to talk. You know, and again, I know I've talked about that a lot on the show, and I talk about it in the conferences. I think that diagnosis that diagnosis is misused when it's a toddler who's a late talker and who's never talk you know that's again the wrong terminology there so and you know yeah, we talked a lot on go ahead oh go ahead no go ahead oh i was just i just that advice i just think you know <laughs> right oh why why don't i think of that just wait until he says it i mean uh, if he could he would <laughs> And there's a whole, we talked about can't versus won't, and that's a whole philosophical thing. It's not that the child won't talk, he can't talk. And if you've never heard me talk about that or never read anything about that, again, there's an article on the website called Can't Versus Won't. And it really is eye-opening for a lot of parents of late talkers because they then sympathize with the child's very real developmental deficit and then they're able to really identify and say gosh if, if he could talk he would if she could say it she she would be talking it would be easier for everyone including her and so mm-hmm. again be really careful 
about assigning um, behavioral problems, meaning he just won't talk, versus it's a true skill deficit. It's a developmental delay, a developmental issue. So we want to be really careful about that. All right, another verb that I teach really early is all done or all gone, and it just I kind of use those words interchangeably. And I really oh yeah, that's go, on my top four list. I'd put it up there. Yeah. Too. We do this, I think, a little bit differently. All, all gone how do you, and all How done. do you sign it? I sign it with with my hands up in the air, both of my hands up, and my elbows are kind of, sometimes they're kind of bent, but that doesn't really matter. But my hands are up, and I kind of shake them, you know, for all gone, all gone, and do it like that. How mm-hmm. do you do it? Uh, I, I've kind of switched to that. I used to do it. Um, like take your hands and open them a lot like I do open. Me too. All and done, I did it, flipping your hands yeah. out. Mm-hmm. And I used to sign it like that really early in my career, and then I had a lot of kids kind of mixing those signs up, and I wouldn't know mm-hmm. whether they meant open or whether they meant all done. And if I'm holding a toy or a bag of toys and they're signing open, and I say, oh, you don't want that, you're all done, and I put it away, and they're mad because they were trying to tell me, open, and I thought, hmm, I need to change. Yeah, those are kind of close. Yeah, besides, you know, I think they like to shake them more anyway. The little shake your hands, I think that's more fun. So they, you know, they pick it up pretty quickly. I think it's it's good, too. And I think all done and all gone, and again, however, whichever version you want to use, and I use them both, um, I think it's, really easy for a kid to imitate verbally if they're really ready to do that. And most of the time you're not going to hear that, again, every single sound is not going to be pronounced. You're not going to hear that final L on all. You're probably not going to get an N on done or gone. You're going to get Ida. You know, sometimes you don't even really hear the D or the G. It's more like ah. But if they're doing it in that same kind of intonation, if you've modeled all gone or all done, all done, and you start to hear, ah, guess what? He's saying that. He's telling you that. And we need to reinforce it. And sometimes a parent or a therapist won't be sure that a kid is saying that. And then they miss some of the earliest word attempts because they don't realize that the kid is trying to communicate that. We had a little boy earlier this summer who I think was trying to say that, and because he didn't when he was, and you know who I'm talking about, mm-hmm. did that assessment together, and he, um, it was, it was, it would be easy to miss. Remember, because he was just kind of doing mm-hmm. that, ah, and we both were like, oh, I think he's saying all done. You know, and telling his mom that. And that's not, you know, she had heard that before, but she wasn't really convinced that he was saying that. And for some of our kids, we have to really, and I call this putting the cart before the horse, we have to reinforce it a lot. We have to say, all done, all done, you know, all done, and really say it over and over and over like they said it on purpose and that they really meant it before it becomes frequent enough for a parent to really, or a therapist to really recognize it or be willing to give them credit for having said that word. And so 
you know, again, I think all done or all gone. What a powerful word or sign to teach a kid, too, so that he has a way to end an activity and to be finished with something rather than walking away or, you know, tossing his cup out of his hand or whatever other less acceptable way of ending an activity, you know, all done, you know, or even saying no, you know, I think all done is a more pleasant way to teach that. And, again, it gives a kid a lot of power when they um, are able to use that. So all done is one that I think that you can uh, teach pretty easily. Okay, let's talk about the ones that we've reviewed so far with go, open, eat, drink, and all done. The reason that these verbs work and I've already alluded to it a little bit, is because you can use them all day long in lots and lots and lots of contexts. And so we want to be sure when we're teaching verbs that we talk to parents about that and that we don't let a parent, let a child limit his use of a word like this to just one specific little context. You want them using these kinds of words or signs all day long across a variety of activities, one, because then they really start to understand what the word means, two, because you need to give them math practice, meaning lots and lots of opportunities to use the word so that they really own it and know it. And, again, they're establishing that little motor plan so that they can use their sign or use their word when they need it. And the other reason that you want to do it, too, is just so parents remember to practice language (laughs) and they remember, oh, yeah, we're working on that word. Oh, yeah. And so if you talk to your parent about that, you can get them to realize all the different things that they do in the course of the day where they have opportunities to use that word. And for a lot of us as therapists, we have to really spell that out for parents, and we have to really be specific about it. Now, your state programs are going to love that because that's called, you know, working your strategies into your daily routines, and that's such a big movement in early intervention. And so, again, you're going to want to talk with a parent about, okay, today we practiced go. Go was a word that we did in our session. And when we were doing go, remember today we used go when he was, when I was pushing him on the sling. And then we used go when he was ready to go down the slide. And then we used go when we were playing with the cool racetrack. And then we used go when we were watching the ball fly down um, the ball toy. And so you have to really point out to parents how many different activities you use the word go in. And then you say to a parent, hey, and let's talk about how you could use the word and sign for go and all the different things that you can come up with this week and all the ways that you can use it between our visits. And so you remind them of things that you've already heard them say or things, you know, that you know that they do in their daily routines so that they can work that word in. Um, I talk about you know, using go when they're, if they're going to run anywhere. I talk about using go, you know, a lot of parents will play that ready, set, go when they're at stoplights and the car is about to move and go again. Um, Any little hint that you can give a parent with a way to use go, you want to be sure that they're doing that because it, you know, for the reasons that I talked about before, they're going to give a kid more opportunities to um, use the word. So you want to be really, really careful about that and really, really purposeful 
in your talks with parents about how they could use that word. What are some other ways that you use the word go, yeah, okay? Some other context for that. Um, I, with some kids, for those swinger kids who love to, you know, I'll do them in the mm-hmm. blanket. I do right. go with that, another movement thing. If food, yeah. those are usually the same kids who the food doesn't work on, so then <laughs> then I go to go. Yeah. Usually they want to yeah. go. So swinging is always an early one. Yeah. So that's a good one. So you're going to want to talk to parents again about how they can use all the different ways that they can think of the use goes. Same thing with open. If they've done open with me in a therapy session, it's because we've been opening my Ziploc bags. We also use open if we're playing with the barn or with that animal hospital. Any toy with a door, we would use the word open. That would be something that we would try to do. That frog, that cute little frog in a box toy, I use open as a target word with that toy a lot. Um, Packages of food for snacks, you know, when you're opening the Teddy Grahams or opening the goldfish or whatever, Open is, uh, you know, a great target word to begin a snack activity, and certainly moms and dads can do that. They can do open when they're opening the refrigerator to get a drink. Um, Again, or any other door in their home, opening the door to go outside, opening the door to get in the van, anything that you can think of. But you have to really give parents specific examples and specific ways that they can work that in. And you don't just tell them, <laughs> you're going to show the parent, too, as you use the same words from activity to activity to activity in a therapy session. And you talk about that with the parent and you say, like I did with go, you say, today with open, open is one of our target words. And we used it when we, every time we opened or every time we started a new activity and we opened my bag. We used open when we, you know, played with my... Um, car toy with the garage. I had him say open when he was putting the key in and we were turning the lock, you know, and we were opening the door. When we played with Thomas today, we had the station that all the trains fit in. So open is something that we were saying and I was trying to get him to stay in sign every time we open the door to the station. So you give parents, you know, you show them how to do it when you're modeling play, when you're when you're directly teaching and you're working with that child directly, but then you also take it that next step further and remind the parent how many times and in what context you use that word. And again, last week we talked about how you take your therapy practice to the next level. This is the way to do it, gals. (laughs) It's you're going to do the activity with the child and then you explain what you did to the parent and you say, you know, our target words today, we're working on vocabulary development and today I really emphasize action words with him and we did it with signs and words. And, you know, these are our activities. And so you're explaining what you did and then they know that you're doing more than playing. They know that you are purposeful and that you had a plan when you came into that session and that this was your goal. And so you want to be really um, do as good a job explaining to parents what you did as you were when you were directly working with the child. And for therapists who practice in states that they say they don't want you to work directly with the kid anymore, Oh, I could do a, you know, we could do a ten-part series on that, couldn't we, Kate? About why that's not a good idea. But you have to be able to show a parent how to do it and demonstrate what you're doing, and then 
but take it to the next step and really explain what you did. And that's the whole purpose of the consultative model is you being able to tell a parent how to do it and, and tell them, give them ideas for how they can do it at home and how they can work on language with their child. I still believe that showing them how to do it when you are directly working with their child is the very best way, but you've got to take it that next step and really explain what you're doing and explain why you're working on what you're working on and how you're doing it. You've got to be able to not only do it, but then take it to that next step and explain to parents what you did and why you did it and then how what they need to do and how they need to do it um, in their daily routines at home, and that's how to really, really again take your take your therapy to the next level on that. Which is one of the things I always like about I think signs inherently do when you when you teach signs to parents and their kids is that it slows parents down and it gets them more focused on a handful of words better than just right. saying we're going to do these words. Right. Yeah, and they really, 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 hopefully they target those that handful of words. And before you know it, the kid has them. So Yeah, because Woo-hoo. you've given them, yeah, multiple opportunities to use it. And that's the thing I do get, and I, I know therapists get so discouraged about this, will work really hard on a sign or a word in a session, and the kid will almost have it, and then the next week you'll say or you'll you'll bring it up. You'll start to use it, and you'll look at mom and say, how'd that go this week? Did he sign that? Did he say that? And mom will say, oh, no, I forgot about that. We didn't practice that. And I always think, oh, that's seven days. We'll never get back. <laughs> you know, how to make these signs and these early words really, really usable and really easy for moms and dads to remember to use, or, you you know, again, you lose lose that time from session to session to session. If they're only using it or saying it in a session with you, it's not it's not what it's supposed to be. You know, we're supposed to be teaching them so that moms and dads can use that words or signs and carry that over all week long so that a child really, really, really has it. And that's the whole basis for moving to that sync and consultative model anyway. It's so that a parent doesn't think, oh, I'm just going to take my kid to therapy and he's going to be fixed and I'm not ever going to have to work on anything at home. You know, this isn't me. That's therapy. The therapist is supposed to do that and then I'm just going to do nothing between appointments and everything is supposed to work out okay. That does not work. And that's why so many states have tried to shift to the whole consultative piece so that parents really buy into, oh, my gosh, this working on this talking thing is supposed to happen all day, every day, and these are activities that I'm supposed to be carrying over. And so I understand why so many states have have made that, tried to make that uh, philosophical shift in going to that model. But I still think that direct working with a child is a part of that because you're showing a parent, you're saying to them, watch me as I work with your kid. This is how you're supposed to do it. This is how it's supposed to look. This is what's supposed to happen. Because a lot of times if you never see that happen, then they don't know how to carry it over. And so I still think directly showing a parent how to do it is is part of that model and we should not make the total shift where we completely um, dismiss that the value of directly working with the child. Um, that's why we're therapists. You know, that's what we were trained to do. We weren't really trained to teach parents how to do it with kids. We're really trained 
and how to do it ourselves and how it's supposed to look and supposed to work. And so don't let yourself get tricked by thinking that when you have to go to that kind of model that you're not ever supposed to touch a kid or work directly with a kid. And I, you know, again, you've got to be so confident about your own skills that you're able to defend that and you're able to say, no, what I'm doing right now is parent education because this mom is watching me do it. And so while I'm directly working with this child, my overall goal is parent education. I'm modeling this technique for her and I'm coaching her through this strategy. And so even if you have to play little word games, um, to <laughs> make yourself feel like you're still working within the model that you're supposed to use. I, I just I hate it when therapists start saying, well, I can't work directly with the kid anymore because my program's not going to allow me to. That's crazy. That's crazy. Don't you think so? I certainly do. I mean, um, yeah, there is a reason that they give master's degrees to do it. It's not just... You know, I mean, as much as we can certainly help parents, um, you know, it's kind of a, uh, yeah. I think it's absolutely an essential part of therapy is the hands-on to figure out what works. Yeah, and you have to know Mm -hmm. what what a kid's going to be able to do and not do. And if if states just want to be able to tell parents, uh, okay, this is how you should do it, without that direct piece, you're just going to switch to kind of a social worker model where the social worker goes in. And and I always kind of laugh when that happens. So I want to say, hey, if you're a state like that, hey, give give that state my website. Let's sell some DVDs and some books there. Because if we're going to take out that, uh, <laughs> take out the piece where the therapist really works with the parent, hey, have I got a product for you? Because the books are for, and a lot of parents do get it just from that. But the reason that states, still do early intervention in homes because you're supposed to have that direct contact with the family and you've got to be be giving them more information rather than here read this here look at this um so don't cut yourself out of that picture and don't let your skills get rusty and don't be lazy and you know refuse to do that direct treatment piece anymore stand up for yourself and advocate for our professions and our our whole, you know, genre of early intervention where we still say, no, working directly with the kid is important, but you've got to take it to the next step so that parents know how to do it too. And that's, again, the reason that, that states are shifting is because they do want to help parents know what they're supposed to do. But that does, in my opinion, does not mean that you would not ever show a parent by working with their child. Can you imagine they if they adopted that <laughs> model with school? They just said, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, we're just going to tell you how to get yeah. your kid from first to second grade. We're going to give you a little instruction, and you can take care of that. Yeah, you know? so go I mean, home and do it. It's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. That's crazy talk. Yeah. But a lot of therapists go along with it because they don't know how to defend their profession and don't know how mm-hmm. to say, what I'm doing is parent education. What I mean, as it is, is, you only get an hour a week or an hour every two weeks. We're not talking, right. you know, yeah. Yeah. So <sighs> you have to be able to explain that. And, again, that was a little sidetrack, you know, you've been getting on my soapbox about that, but I get a ton of email about that from therapists who say, yeah. what do you say? You know, what do you do? How do you how do you do this model? And I want to say, it's the same thing. 
just with the kid directly. But guess what? It is parent education because the parent is watching you and participating and, and helping, and then they go on and do it themselves, or you have them do it with you so that you're coaching and you're tweaking what they're doing, and you say to the parent, Mom, don't do it this way. Try it this way. And so parents, for the most part, appreciate that direct teaching even with them so that they, you know, can be more effective. Why else would they have their kid in therapy? Now, there are some parents who just want you to fix them and, you know, they're just pretty much want to have you come in and do it and there would be no work on their part. And I understand that because that's easy. We all want things to be easy, but you have to really help parents buy in. And, again, without making them feel stupid or, you know, being condescending or, or being like you are um, really overcorrecting them or blaming their child's issues on them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about really coaching them so that they can use better strategies and they can be more effective in helping their own child. All right, let's wrap up with um, what we talked about with teaching verbs. The ones that we teach first, go, open, eat, drink, and all done. And then we move on to... Um, the rest of the list that you can find in that article uh, at teachmetotalk.com. You know, what can I do to help my child learn more words? When you are, when a kid has a handful of verbs, and usually, you know, there's some nouns coming in at this point too. You know, that's when you're going to move on to um, more advanced verbs per se. I guess that's what you would call them. And so, other ones that that I do after that first kind of rung of verbs would be uh, I like wash. I think that's a great verb to do. Jump is one that I do because uh, toddlers love to jump. Run is another one. Walk, 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 walk is one that I think that you can teach pretty easily throughout um, lots of different play activities that you would do with the child. And, again, you want to talk to parents about how they can work verbs and action words into their daily routines. Bath time is a huge opportunity to target verbs because you can do, like we already talked about, wash and all done, but you can use words like pour or splash. If you're playing with toys, you can make the toy swim. You can make the toy walk on the bathtub. You can make the toy run. You know, um, if you have a character there or an animal like a duck, you can make the duck jump. So bath time is a great um, daily routine to target verbs. Meal time, we've already talked about. Eat and drink are kind of our, in that top list, those early ones that we teach. All done and all gone. You can also do open with that, but other verbs that you can do at that point are stir, shake, cut, you know, those are some other verbs that you might work in. But um, the important thing is that you always use the word in context, that you're always showing a child what you're doing. And, again, there's no better way to teach verbs than by actually doing. Do not go by the super-duper verb cards <laughs> and think that you're going to be able to teach a ton of verbs to a late talker by looking at pictures. You have to work it into play. You have to work it into daily routines and use real activities to teach verbs. Don't use pictures to teach verbs. And, you know, we beat that dead horse a lot on this show. You know, toddlers <laughs> learn by doing. So you want to be 
want to be sure that you are doing, 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 especially um, when you're teaching verbs, and you want to look for lots of opportunities to teach the same word, and then you want to look for if you are really focusing on verbs, you want to bring lots of different verbs into one play activity. For example, if you were playing with ball, what are all the different actions you can do with ball? You can throw, you can kick, you can catch, you can roll, you can hide it. You know, so again, if you're to the point line slides that you are working on a lot of those higher level verbs, you need to sit down and spend some mental time planning with, okay, I'm gonna play with balls. What are the words I'm gonna say? Or today we're gonna do cards, so let me think, hmm, what are my action words? Let's see, I've got go, I've got stop, I've got push, I've got pull, I have open, you know, so I have ride, I have fall. You know, if you can go through it and pick out uh, some target words for you to use. And, again, remember, you can't just do it one time. We talked about... I really like... I have to go on record and say I really like pull. A lot of kids can say that. Yeah. Yeah, pull is good. And it works with a lot of the, you know, things I'm trying to get them to do with play-wise. I'm always saying, pull, pull. And it's always such a goofy one. You know, they like to do it and they pop it out. Yeah, it's a, a big one. And stuck, I think about that as an action word, even though, I mean, I don't know if a grammarian were on here, if they, what they would say stuck is. But I say stuck, you know. Absolutely, because like, it, it oh. describes so many things. Again, they can't manipulate it. And what right. what describes it, it's stuck. Right, right. Yeah. And so you use it uh, in that context, too. And so that's another early one I do. Um, I wanted to be a, get a little bit more in depth than we were talking about verbs today, but I hope that we've made our point that you know you can start teaching verbs a little bit earlier than maybe we would with children if they were typically developing. You know, they may have lots and lots and lots of nouns before they get verbs, but I think verbs are so important. As we're working with late talking toddlers, we talked about our list of ones that we do early, and then. Um, we talked about how we're going to look for opportunities to introduce verbs in um, lots of different verbs, a bigger variety, even within one kind of play activity. So um hope that our listeners have benefited from this discussion today. We're not going to continue talking about verbs next week, but if you have some specific questions, you can always email me at laura at teachmetotalk.com or post a question on the website at teachmetotalk.com or if you're on Facebook, you can leave a question on um, teachmetotalk.com's Facebook page. So that's, that's my parting advice about teaching verbs in play. Next week I want to see have fun around. teaching verbs. They're they're the they're really fun. Kids love them. So fun. So fun. Yeah. Next week we're going to move on and we're going to talk about prepositions, which are location words. I'm going to give you that real specific list of uh, which prepositions are age appropriate by the time a child turns 3 and we're going to talk about hands-on ways to teach those kinds of words in play. Any other parting words from you, Kate, before we leave about verbs? Nope. Not really. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. I hope you'll join us next Monday. Thanks. Bye. Bye.